Inductees into the South Dakota Hall of Fame come from all backgrounds of life, but one thing they all have in common is their daily pursuit of their dreams. In this podcast, you will hear stories of the legacy of these inductees and how these dream chasers have impacted South Dakota in meaningful ways. Here's your host, Miles Beacom. Hello, I'm Miles Beacom with the South Dakota Hall of Fame, and today I'm with Mary Olinger. She was inducted in the South Dakota Hall of Fame in 2012. Mary, why don't you start with telling us a little bit about your childhood growing up, and, and we'll take it from there. Well, Miles, I was born in Emory, South Dakota, 1945, oldest of nine, and the kids all got better after I was born, better looking, taller, and the whole bit. So uh, once I left Emory, I went to school, went to college for one whole semester until my dad came to me and said, I can't afford to send you to college. I've got nine kids to send to college. Well, we didn't have, any time we made any money, we were farmers, farmer people, and any time we made any money, it went back into the farm, so we didn't really even get an allowance. But at any rate, so he puts me in the car and said, let's go to Sioux Falls, we'll get a job. So I got a job the first day I came down to Sioux Falls and went to work for an insurance company. Stayed there six years. Then I had an opportunity to go to work at a trucking company, one of the largest in the country, and we had 11,000 employees and wonderful benefits, and I was there 17 years until the company went belly up. When the company went belly up, I had to do a job search, and a friend of mine called and said they saw an ad in the Argus Leader looking for an executive director for the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And I said, holy buckets, I don't, I don't qualify for that. <laughs> but at any rate, they, a guy named Steve Hoff, and a lot of people know Steve from Dakota Sports, says, yeah, you need to apply for the job. So I applied and got the job. So I spent 18 years with Make-A-Wish, granting wishes to kids that are, had life-threatening medical conditions, and retired from there, actually. So you're, you're the queen of Make-A-Wish in South Dakota, so, but thank you for If we could back up just a little bit. So you went to Emory to school. Mm-hmm. How many kids were in your class? 21. 21. And then where did you go for a semester to school? Dakota Wesleyan. Dakota Wesleyan, okay. And was that a big, were you kind of nervous going from a class of 21 to Dakota Wesleyan? It wasn't even that as much as leaving my family because I had no grandparents as a child growing up and we never ever stayed any place. So for me to just leave home and drive 20 miles to Mitchell to go to school was just frightening for me. I was homesick and the whole bit, it was, it was awful, but I adjusted. Well, that had to be tough when your father came and told you that we just don't have the money to go oh, to college. Of course, of course I so, cried. So we're going to take a drive to Sioux Falls and you're going to get a job there. Uh-huh. What, how did you react to that? That's a huge move. In well, my father was always the boss, so I just acknowledged what he said and got dressed up and went to Sioux Falls. And you found a job the first day? First day, yeah. I applied through different places and I got hired at the first place I went. So for your first job, were you nervous, were you? Well, of course, I knew nothing about it. And I, you know, my, my whole dream was to go to school and major in journalism. And just didn't have the funds, nor at that time in our life, where did we want to borrow the money to do things like that? And so, yeah, it was tough. Um, but I called a couple friends and they had room in their apartment in a 
third floor of a big home on 14th in Minnesota and I moved in with them and from there I went to work. Mm, that's and then you had an opportunity to go over to the freight company. Yep, American Freight, and I worked for 14 men there. They were all traveling people, and so when they would come in on Fridays after being on the road, I'd have to prepare everything that they wanted done. It didn't matter. I had all kinds of reports to do, and, and uh, you name it. I just had to kowtow to all these men. I loved them, though. I always love working with men. It's been fun. Well, then they had some financial troubles and yeah, they, had. they had to close up. How did you, I mean, that had to be crushing after being there for oh. how many years? Uh, I was there 17, 17 years. years. Yeah. yeah, it was crushing, absolutely. It was crushing for a lot of people. Number one, we didn't have insurance. We didn't have any money coming in, and we were well paid. Uh, there were many couples that worked there. There were people that had maybe heart conditions, and the insurance just was shut off, just like that. So. Yeah. So how long did it take you to find Make-A-Wish then? Well, I had a short stint for 15 months. I went to work at the med school. Got a job there, worked for the executive director there. Got to work with all the chairmen of the departments, which was, it was an amazing experience. I loved meeting the physicians and, and um, it was just, I learned all the ropes as far as being maybe a boss and knowing how to operate with a group of people that I didn't really even know. And all these guys are smarter than I am. They're very intimidating, but I learned to love them all. And, and I think they liked me too a little bit because to this day we still see one another and it's all okay. But then while I was there, um, I, had, I got this opportunity to go to Make-A-Wish and 275 people applied for that job. And they had, you know, I talk about college degrees, they all had degrees, they all had uh, master's degrees, they had PhDs, <laughs> you name it, and they picked me. And I'm going, oh my God, now what am I gonna do? But the thing I had to do was go back and give credit to every one of the people that I had worked for in the past that I had learned something from. I had learning, I'd learned some accounting things. I had learned a lot of medical things from all the physicians that I worked for. Um, it, it was great. It helped me. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, in, in every position you took, uh, you did a great job and you were well taken care of at those uh, other businesses, but you learned something at each one to make you a stronger person. So exactly. it prepared you well for Make-A-Wish. When you started at Make-A-Wish, how many kids were you helping, people were you helping? Well, I started in uh, 1993, and we had between 12 and 18 kids that we were granting wishes for, but the sad part about that is that we had no money. We had absolutely no money at Make-A-Wish. And what we would do, and what they had done prior to me coming on board, is they would call wealthy, lucrative people in town and say, hey, we need $4,500. We got a wish kid that's sick and they want to go to Disney World or they want some playground equipment or something. So what we did is kept calling those people and I said, this can't go on. We just got to quit this. We got to figure this out. So we started some fundraising events. Um, we built 12 houses with the help of a couple, Mike Thurman, I'll mention his name, Thurman Construction and uh, Henry Carlson Company, Chip Carlson. 
and we built 12 homes, sold them on the real estate market. We developed a program called Driving for Dreams where people could uh, put our logos on their vehicles and it was marketing and advertising for us. And for anywhere up to $6,000, they could have three vehicles and drive around town and tell them that they adopted a wish or started paying for wishes. And we had some other smaller events. Plus then we had to start finding, uh, getting out into the state of South Dakota. This was kind of limited to Sioux Falls, but we did grant wishes in Rapid City, we grant wishes in Hoven and a lot of different places, but it wasn't so easy to just take off and go there. So I got to Aberdeen, I sat down and had a meeting and got a bunch of volunteers together. And so then they started holding some events, an annual dance, the people in Watertown held an annual event that raised anywhere from thirty to $60,000, and they're still doing it to this day. And it, it just took a lot of groundwork, a lot of meeting people, getting the uh, right people on our board um, who helped a lot. I had at least three of them that, that worked real hard selling tickets. We did an annual Hot Harley Nights, the big motorcycle event that everybody knows about. Oh my, we did, we did a lot of things, we were busy, and um, we finally got some money in the bank and things started humming. And I can remember the day that we got our first quarter of a million in the bank, and I was so excited and told one of the board members, and he was so excited because he had um, donated quite a bit of money to help kids get their wish. So uh, then we got up to 500,000, I got excited again, and wasn't long we had a million, and I got excited. <laughs> And, and it was just it was just people that believed in Make-A-Wish and, you know, promoting it. And, and how many wishes are they giving out on an annual basis? Well, now? they're doing about 75 to 80 now, yeah. What you just got to be saying, wow. Well, there were a lot of other things that happened. You know, we were given free rent on the third floor of Avera's. It was then, it was the Cancer Institute building. And... Um, all of a sudden they decided they wanted the space. So I got a couple of my people together and said, we gotta figure something out. And we never ever paid a cent of rent up until that point in time. Went out and we looked at a whole bunch of different places that we could have rented. Finally one morning I had a couple of these people at my house. It was Carl and Marietta Sokup and the Intamins and some of those people are having a cup of coffee. And, and Carl said, hey, let's build a building. So. Fine, he said, I'll give you the first quarter of a million dollars. And I'm just going, oh my God, I'm in my humble house back here in, in uh, west side of Sioux Falls. But anyhow, and then Jill Enneman says, well, you know, I think JNL will do something too. We'll probably give you a quarter of a million. And by the time we were done, I went to people like Shoneman, Cecil Shoneman, who was alive then. and gave me $50,000 and went to some other people that gave you $5,000 here and there. And probably our biggest accomplish was, accomplishment was building a building that was 100% paid for. Plus we had probably almost $100,000 to take care of maintenance fees or that's anything a, that came up later. That's amazing. I know, it was, pretty, it was pretty cool, yeah. So when you look back at everything you've been able to accomplish and the people that you were able to work with uh, throughout your career, from the beginning when your father took you to Sioux Falls and dropped you off to today. 
what do you think? I mean, the accomplishments you've had are just amazing, and the people that you've helped, because uh, you've done some outstanding things. Oh, I, uh, my father always said it was better to be the engine than the caboose. So I was pretty well driven by my parents who said, you know, you gotta work hard, you gotta strive for, for whatever you want. If you're gonna make money, you're gonna have to do it. If it's to be, it's up to you or me. If it's to be, it's up to me. And I just I had a great work ethic, I guess, and it sounds like I'm tooting my horn, but we worked hard back home. I worked hard when I was in school. I worked hard whenever I, I had something to do. And, and it was a challenge, it was a real challenge to go to Make-A-Wish and raise money and get money in the bank and then to see, oh my God, to see the smiles on the faces of the kids and their parents and all the people that were involved in granting a wish. It was pretty incredible. Then it was well worth all that hard work, wasn't it? Oh my gosh, smiles. yes, absolutely, absolutely. When you look at where Make-A-Wish was when you first went in there and it was free rent in the facility you were at, to the end, uh, when you retired, to the house being there, all of the wishes that are being taken care of on an annual basis, still having money in the account. You have to be thinking this is just incredible, but when you first went to Make-A-Wish then, when there was no money, you had free rent, did you say, what in the world did I get into? Uh, the first thing I did was I made up my mind I was going to raise enough money to pay my salary, which wasn't a whole lot, but that was my goal. I want to pay my salary even before I take care of these wishes. And it was selfish maybe, but it was a good goal because we just started getting enough money and I knew I had to work hard to get it. And then I created an insurance program for the organization so we could have insurance. And it was me pretty much all alone until I hired an administrative assistant and somebody to help me. And I had issues. I had people that really didn't believe in Make-A-Wish. They didn't want to work there. They had no, no love, no compassion, if you will, for all these kids. It was just a job for them. So uh, I went through a few people, finally found some good ones, and uh, picked out a fabulous wish grantor and uh, some accounting people. And we just formed a darn good office. It's amazing uh, the accomplishments that uh, you've made and the one thing that you continue to talk about is the team and did, did not matter where you were in your life and what job you were working with, you loved to work with the people that were there oh, and yeah. even make a wish. You went there and it was just Mary, but you made the connections with the people in the community to really step up and work with and, and uh, so you were never afraid to raise your hand and ask for help and, and but uh, now when you look back, yeah, it's an, you've done some amazing things and you've made South Dakota even better but that's one of the things that we really want the youth of the state to really look at too. Don't be afraid to raise your hand and ask for help when you need it. And, exactly, um, yeah. Because when you first went to Make-A-Wish you had to be saying, hey, I gotta pay my salary, <laughs> I gotta live and then we can do these other things. But uh, you went in in a pretty desperate time as well to take this organization from really just barely surviving to thriving. And that's exactly what you've done, so. Well, we were in a 10 by 10 office when I started. We had a desk. They didn't even, give, my board didn't even give me the computer. They were still in control, which was fine. Um, and then the people at Avera came along, moved us up to the third floor where I had a little office and we had room for a conference table, we had room for our, our staff, a couple people that worked there. And just the biggest thing is 
I just learned to, to love people so much. And I really didn't even know my board members that well. They had prominent names. And, but I, I, the first thing I did was I went to every one of those board members and sat down and said, what do you expect out of me? You guys have hired me now. What do you want me to do? And it was really helpful. And then I went to other nonprofit directors and asked them the same thing. How, how does your operation work? So, um, and that's always good to know is those ex expectations. Uh, so that's, that's impressive that you had uh, the initiative to go and, and uh, sit down with the board members and make sure what their expectations were of you. I had to learn. I had to know, you know. Took a lot of notes. I still do take a lot of notes even though I'm retired. But, you know, you learn a lot from other people if you just listen. And uh, it's, it's just kind of amazing the connections I've made with people all over the state of South Dakota. And, I, I can even come to this event, and I know people, the, the Lickness, for example, mm -hmm. you know, they uh, have had an event in Watertown every year, and it's just, it's just fun. It's just great to know people in South Dakota. And knowing them, and you put those teams together, and they've accomplished some great things uh, with your leadership. Uh -huh. Mary, what do you think has been your biggest challenge in your career? Well, one of my biggest challenges was Number one, getting money in the bank. Number two, I was in a bad car accident in 2004, and I was laid up for almost a year. And one of my biggest challenges was then to get back and get with my staff who, I had issues with them. They, they kind of wanted my job. They wanted me to quit. They wanted me to get out of there because they thought they could handle it. That was an awful big challenge. And then uh, I would say building a building and making sure that it was all paid for, that was, that was a big challenge. You know, all, all challenges, and, uh, but uh, you, you overcame well, each one of those. Yeah, it was just, you know, when you go to somebody, and, I, and I'll give you a quick example. It probably doesn't need to be on this, but I went to Cecil Schoenemann, who owns Schoenemann Lumber, and I told him, you know, Cecil, people, perceive nonprofits as, you know, you can't have a whole lot of money in a nonprofit. And I said, I've got a group of people that want to build a building. And Cecil said, well, why not? And we talked about the nonprofit thing a little bit. And he says, call downstairs and get Al, who's an inductee here, and tell him to bring the checkbook. And Al came upstairs and he wrote a check for $50,000. And I'm just elated to this day. And do you know what happens? When Cecil died, he left $100,000 to make a wish. So it's all, it's all about relationships. It's all about how you treat people, how they treat you, and you accept them for what they are and who they are. Mm -hmm. And I've met every people from every colony in the state of South Dakota, every, probably every town in the state of South Dakota, and they're all just amazing. I've been in mud, walked in mud to put a playground equipment up piece of equipment up. You're an amazing lady, Mary, oh. all those accomplishments. <laughs> Not really. Not really. Mary, what would you like to share uh, that people don't know about you that you'd like to share? Oh, my God. Well, deep down, I'm kind of shy. I know people don't think that, but I am. I've had, I've had to fight that all my life. I, I don't like to stand up in front of a crowd too much. Again, I had to fight, I still have to fight that to this day. Um, 
They probably don't know that I spent a few years playing softball, got inducted in the Softball Hall of Fame, and um, they probably don't know that I coached a softball team. And I, the last few weeks, have been comparing those girls to the boys that went to the National Baseball Tournament. But we had a team that went to the National Tournament three times, from California to Texas to Oklahoma, and um, they were pretty amazing, but the media wasn't out there at that time, so we didn't get a lot of press. But we had some very talented girls and played 75 teams in a tournament, and we ended up seventh three years in a row. We couldn't get to number one, but. Well, it's amazing, though, accomplishments. And, and uh, your shyness point is important because I think a lot of students say, I don't want to do that. That's, I, yeah, it's. But you, got, you were able to get out of your comfort zone and overcome that. And even today, you did not really want to sit down with me, but no. you've done a great job. And it's not so bad, is it? No, it's not so bad. <laughs> Mary, uh, just in closing, all I want to say is thank you for everything that you've done for oh. not only Make-A-Wish, but for South Dakota. And, and you're right, it's people partnerships and building those relationships that do it. So thank you very much for your time. You're a good guy. Thank you, Miles. Thank you for listening. To learn more about the South Dakota Hall of Fame and these dream chasers, visit our website at www.sdexcellence.org and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.